This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to Betting Weekly Game Bet Match on the Bet Rivers Network. Welcome to Betting Weekly, the tennis podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers, your hometown sportsbook. I'm Roy Giovanni, and for the next half an hour or so, I'll be talking all things tennis with former world number four and Miami Open tournament director, James Blake. James, how are you today? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me again. No problem. Of course, we're looking ahead to the second Grand Slam of the season and it's at Roland Garros, the French Open, on clay, of course. The big news, I guess, has to be Rafa Nadal not defending his title. He's failed to recover in time from a hip injury he sustained at the Australian Open. We, we sort of touched on this last week, James, but, but what was your reaction to the news that actually he wouldn't be in Paris this year? Yeah, it's sad to see. Uh, I mean, one of the greatest champions of all time, definitely the greatest champion there at that at that venue. Um, you want to see them go out on their own terms. Uh, it's tough to see. It was really tough to see him hobbled, uh, hobbling off the court in Australia. Um, and it's just, uh, it kind of all of us, you, you want to see them continue to go. You want to see the greats. You want to see them, uh, continuing to perform, taking on the new generation and everything, but, um, father time still undefeated. So it, it's bound to bound to come to an end at some point. Novak's reign will at some point, uh, Rafa's is seemingly coming towards the end and, and Rogers obviously did as well. So it's tough to see. Um, but, um, you know, hopefully he's back for next year. He did say he, he thinks he'll be able to be back for next year and that that'll be his last year, uh, possibly. So I would love to see him back on the court playing well, um, healthy, and then um, go out on his own terms, be able to say a proper goodbye to that uh, that crowd that's loved him so much there in Paris. And um, yeah, I, I just want to see that. I, I was um, surprised he's been able to make it this long when I saw him when he first started, how physically he was playing. And um, it's incredible what he's done with his body to be able to to stay in in condition to be able to play as long as he did. Absolutely. I, I think Nadal, I mean, see, the stats are incredible. 14 French Open titles, 22 singles, Grand Slams. Undoubtedly one of the all-time greats. But I think he's perhaps the, certainly in the men's game, men's game the only clay court specialist really to convert that to other surfaces. I mean, he's he's I think he's the only clay court specialist, men's clay court specialist to win a career Grand Slam. Um and I guess he's kind of changed the game in some way because before clay quarters were always, they were just clay quarters. Now, Rafa Nadal, the first to really take it to all surfaces. He really did. He changed the game. I and mean, partly, the, so he changed the game, but also the game has changed a little bit with the surfaces coming a little bit closer together. The clay used to be such an outlier in terms of being slower, much slower than the quick hard courts and the extremely quick grass courts. Now those those hard courts and grass courts have slowed down quite a bit. 
and the clay courts have now become much closer to all of those. So that's, uh, that's made one difference, but also I feel like he was a clay court specialist when he started on tour and he adapted his game to be effective on all surfaces. Uh, so I think I played him when he was 19 years old, he had won the French open and I felt like he left some certain uh, abilities that he had kind of on the table. He, he would play somewhat clay court tennis, playing behind the baseline, playing a, a looping balls a little more, just rolling serves in, getting the point started that way, and using his defensive abilities the way he was able to do on the clay. And as he got later in his career, he adapted to use the fact that he had a massive forehand. He could rip through his backhand. He could be aggressive when he wanted to be and be even more effective on the other surfaces. And then he adapted that to clay to be able to close points and finish points quicker on clay. So I just think it was such a masterful job by Uncle Tony and by uh, by Rafa himself to um, start out one way and continue improving and not say not just be complacent with being the best clay quarter at that time to now I need to adjust to be the best player. And I think he did that. I, I mean, it's not even I think it, he clearly um became one of the greatest players of all time. And I think it was, it's a real testament to not being complacent, not saying, Hey, I won the French open. I can chill now. I don't need to do anything else. I can, you know, rest on my laurels and I'll already probably be a hall of famer. Now I'm going to get better. I'm going to still find ways to get on that practice court and do the things I need to do. And so I think that definitely changed the game. I think that inspired a lot of people, possibly even players like Carlos Alcaraz um, to see how the greats do it and, and what they do and always looking to get better. And, um, so I think he's, you know, he's a, he's a really good, uh, role model for a lot of young players, uh, maybe in, a, in other sports. Um, I, I, I think in many ways, his sportsmanship, uh, his humility, um, his work ethic, uh, everything he did really is, um, has, has been a, a great, he's, he's been an incredible ambassador for our sport. He certainly has. I'm just getting flashbacks of that Laver Cup a few months back and, Federer's sort of goodbye and him breaking down in tears. Yeah. I mean, that big threes. I mean, God, you know, we've been very, very privileged to watch these three down the years. And and I suppose this is kind of the, okay, Federer had already gone, but this is kind of, we're now getting to the end, aren't we? This is kind of, this golden era is almost, almost done, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And I mean, it's we are so lucky uh, to be in that, I mean, you can look at it very, you know, two different ways. I feel lucky that I was involved in that as a player. Uh, some might say it's unlucky because I, <laughs> I have to face them so often. But I look at it as no matter what, you know, you go into it, you do your best and, you know, let the chips fall where they may. And I got lucky enough to play against the, some all-time greats and become friends with some of the, the greatest players of all time and um, can tell my kids I, I've got wins over, well, two of the three, but um uh, you know, it's it's just fun to be a part of and fun to watch history, no matter what it did to my career. It's, um, you know, it's about the the historical uh, place for those guys. And that's that's fun for me to be a part of. And um, but we're getting towards the end. I mean, Serena uh, on the women's side, it was Serena and Venus um, on the men's side, Roger, Rafa, Novak and really Andy Murray as well for, for a, a good chunk of it. Um, and now, you know, Rogers, Rogers, no longer an active player, Rafa, maybe another year. Andy Murray is still out there, but, um, not quite the same as he used to be. Obviously now he's got a metal hip. Um, and Novak's the one that's still going strong and we'll see how much longer that is. I mean, he's, he's been dealing with a couple little niggling injuries 
last couple months, but um, those um, for his career never seemed to be as big a deal because he always bounces back so quickly. As you hit 36 years old, little injuries sometimes last a little longer. They they tend to linger. Um, so um, you hope his uh, his unbelievable regimen, his unbelievable discipline will make it so that he is still able to recover quickly. But um, it'll be something to watch for the next year or two if those pop up and if they pop up and, and last a little longer than they would have five, ten years ago. Yeah, as for Nadal, let's hope he can get back next year and have that send-off from Roland Garros. Obviously, this year, he's leaving a massive gap. Mm-hmm. And the men's tournament looks wide open. And yeah. and stepping up last week in Rome was Daniel Medvedev, who, you know, we've talked about. I mean, he's he's far from a natural on clay. I mean, yeah. God, he looks like a, sometimes he looks like a, a giraffe or something. You know, he just doesn't move <laughs> well on clay, but he gets it done. He's won his first Masters title on clay. I mean, what did you make of him last week? And, and, and what do you think of him as a contender now in Paris? You know, a monumental effort to get through Rome. Because uh, like you said, he doesn't look natural at all out there. Um, he's got a very hard, flat first serve, not the normal, you know, clay court big kick or, you know, tons of spin. He doesn't hit uh, from behind the baseline with a lot of spin and, and hit, hit that heavy ball that seemed, that you would think would be most effective on the clay. Um, so before Rome, I definitely wouldn't have put him, um, even in the top, I don't know, six or eight contenders to win the the French open. And now I got to put him up maybe in there, but I still think he's a, a pretty heavy long shot because, um, I just think for three out of five sets to be able to continue doing that against the, the much more typical clay quarters, uh, will be too difficult against guys like Novak, Alcaraz, even center Sitsipas obviously had a win over Sitsipas in Rome, but, um, I think three out of five sets to be able to continue that um, maybe maybe a little too much to ask of him right now. I think uh, the Rome was a huge effort. That's a, such a great, uh, great job by him and shows how much confidence he has, because I think that had a lot to do with it. The fact that he's won so many matches earlier in the year on the hard courts just got that winning feeling. And um, that confidence just breeds more and more confidence. So I'll go into it confident, but I just think it's a little too much to ask of, of him on the clay to, to win Roland Garros. Um, but you're right. It's wide open. There's uh, way more uh, possibilities than the last 15, 20 years. It's been Rafa and then maybe a couple others that have like an outside chance. And that's about it. And now um, you've got Novak, Alcaraz, Sinner, um, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, um, even Zverev having an outside shot. You've got... Um, who else? I know I'm forgetting some. Casparud, oh, um, Holgaruna. Yeah, Holgaruna. Yeah, yeah. So you got Oops. you got other opportunity. I mean, there's there's plenty of people that uh, have the opportunity to win and have a chance. So it's going to be fun to see because there's no um, there's no just okay. It's Rafa. Just hand Rafa the, t- <laughs> the the title on the second day. It's um, there's a lot more um, there's a lot more intrigue and drama. Possibly, I still I'm still going to stick with Novak being the favorite. I know Alcaraz is the betting favorite. But just the experience Novak has, three out of five sets, the guy finds ways to win to win matches that you would think he might not. He's a problem solver out there. And, you know, the only multiple French Open winner in the draw, I got to I gotta take him as uh, is my favorite. And I know it's not the most exciting. And, I mean, if I want to throw – if I'm going to throw in the the underdog or the, the dark horse, 
you know my pick all year. It's been Yannick Sinner. So I'm still, even though he didn't have a great Rome, I still think he's, one of these days, he's going to break through and get a slam. Uh, he was close at Wimbledon when he lost to Novak. He was close at US Open when he lost to Alcaraz. Um, so one of those is going to swing his way, and that's going to, I think, reshape the way he does in Grand Slams. Do you think, obviously, it doesn't happen in the women's game or in the men's game, going from best of three sets to best of five in majors, do you think that gives Djokovic a big advantage over the rest? Definitely. I mean, you saw it uh, a few years ago, twice in, in one event when he won it. He was down two sets to love, came back and won. Um, I, I think I remember correctly when he was playing Musetti, he was down two sets to love and the live betting odds, he was still a favorite. Um you know, that doesn't happen to other people. Most people, I, I can't think of almost any other time when I've seen someone down two sets of love and still be a favorite because you assume that other players doing something right, playing well enough to win. And if they're playing well enough to win two sets in a row, the conventional wisdom would say they can win one out of the next three sets. But the way he breaks down players' games and then can break them down physically, it makes it so that three out of five is such an advantage for him. He's got the time to problem solve. He's got the time to break you down physically. He's got the time to break you down mentally. And his defense is just so difficult to go up against um, for that long. Because you have to play, I mean, really, you play a perfect set and maybe win at 7-5, maybe 7-6. Okay, now you have to come back around and do it again. You you have a little bit of a, a of a, you know a hiccup, and okay, that set's over. You lost that one. Now it's the next one. Can you play another perfect set? And it's so difficult to do three out of five sets. So I think it's a big advantage, and that's why I'm going to put him as possibly the favorite, uh, maybe even over Alcaraz, even though Alcaraz has had a better clay court season. Um, I still like Djokovic in three out of five sets. If this is two out of three, if this is a two out of three slam. I might flip-flop that. I might put it back to Alcaraz because I think he can do it. But uh, Djokovic, like you said, it gives. It, I think it just gives him a big advantage. And also, not just the fact that it does give him an advantage, it's that the rest of the field knows it gives him an advantage. And it's tougher to step on the court with him knowing that what you have to do. And that's, I mean, the same way you've said about the big three and the, the generation, there are times when they walk out on the court and they're already up a break because um, the other opponent knows that. They know what they have to do and they try to press a little bit too much and against Novak it's it's a real thing and he's gonna he's gonna put tons of different types of pressure on you and that's one that's right and Djokovic went out to Bolgaruna in Rome who seems to be attracting a fair bit of tension for his some of his antics on court shall we say and John McEnroe said he was developing a reputation so if McEnroe's saying it then uh, he'd know um I think last year, Stan Wawrinka told him to stop acting like a baby. Runa mm. and Rude, they've had a couple of run-ins. Only only last week, actually, we were talking about Nick Kyrgios. Um, what do you make of Runa's behaviour? Does he cross the line a bit? Uh, yeah, um, probably does a little bit, but um, that's his personality. He's young, um, and we'll see how he matures. Uh, does he develop into someone that puts that behind him and it never becomes an issue and it's never an issue again or is he someone that just kind of leans into it and like you said it's funny John McEnroe's talking about it and John McEnroe made a career out of bad behavior so um is it something where he just leans into it and says this is who I am and you can love me you can hate me you can do whatever but I'm this is what I think makes me the best player out there it shows my intensity shows my my grit and I'm just gonna be who I am and uh, no apologies for it, then that's who it's going to be. I think I, I've always loved the fact that tennis being an individual sport, it's whatever works best for you. And there's 
a, a million different paths to get to the top of the game. And his might be one of the the antagonists, the one that's uh, getting under people's skin, the one that uh, everyone, I mean, if you want to beat someone so badly, uh, it can actually negatively affect you. You can be thinking about it so much and and get you too stressed about it. And so if he wants to, to use that and he thinks that's his advantage, um, and then for me, like I, I'll, I can relate to myself, like personally, that was so much more difficult for me. I, the me against the world attitude. I, I was, I, I would, I would hate that feeling. I just wanted to go out there. I, I wanted to show people that I was having fun and, you know, get the crowd involved that way in a positive manner. And it made, it made me feel like my, my job was fun and it was easier and it made me play better when I'm, when I'm having fun, I play better. But then you look at guys like Leighton Hewitt, you know, he loved the me against the world attitude. Um, he wanted the crowd against him, I think, half the time. And he encouraged that and he played better. So it's we'll we'll see what what Runa turns into. I think it's more difficult to do that, but that's just because it was for me. Um, um maybe he he embraces that, but I think in the long run that puts that puts a little more pressure on on you if you're if you're one against the uh an entire stadium and and you know it's already tough enough being one-on-one the one person you're playing but you don't want to play twenty thousand others yeah i was just thinking that i think in wrestling is the heel they're they're called a heel aren't they they're they're the ones that everyone loves to hate and they play up to that role and i think he's i think he's developing that for himself um let's move on uh to the women's and um fiontech an injury scare um a thigh problem in her quarterfinal with uh, Yelena Rybakina. She's already practicing in Paris, so I guess it's not that serious. She she won Stuttgart, reached the Madrid final, so I suppose she did play a lot of matches. But but I always think with Shante, she doesn't actually spend that long on court because she's her matches tend to be so one sided. Yeah. So she doesn't spend that long on court compared to some of her rivals. She was also injured at Indian Wells. I'm just getting the feeling. Is this going to become a bit of a pattern with her picking up injuries? I think it might be a bit of a worry here. Yeah, it could be a bit of a worry, but I hope it's a, it's something where it just um, lets the team know, okay, we got to focus on this. It is something, it's an issue, but it can be addressed and that can be, I don't know about fixed, but monitored. And I think one way to do that is look at the schedule. Um, like you said, she she won Stuttgart, she finals in Madrid, Um She's been winning so many matches these last year, the last year, the last two years, that maybe you start tweaking the schedule. You look at guys like Roger, who towards the you know middle to end of his career, he started playing less events because you think about every event he's in, he's in the semis, he's in the finals. Um, so you're getting a lot of matches. And so for her, even if she's not spending a lot of time on court, you spend a lot of time preparing for each one of those matches and you get ready and you get your body ready. Then you cool down, you do everything that's necessary to be extremely prepared. So for her, if she's playing this many matches, maybe it's time to look into, okay, uh, I need to shave one or two tournaments off the schedule every year um, and, and not be playing that many and, and have a very controlled environment where I'm just practicing in some of those other weeks so that my body doesn't break down in any way. I, As far as the French Open this year, it seems like she's already practicing, so that's a good sign. Hopefully she was proactive about not letting it get worse and and stopping that match with Rubakina as early as she needed to to be uh to still you know recover quick enough so that she'll be okay for the French Open and if she has and if she is I still take her as a as a pretty heavy favorite it's just a matter of getting through these two weeks and uh and actually the you know the 14 days makes it so that it is and two out of three sets 14 days um, you know, not as physical as, you know, on the men's side, three out of five. So two out of three and having a day off each time, especially if she's able to win a lot of those first couple of matches, um, 
quickly as she tends to do, you know, that can be a huge benefit to her recovery. And then I still think once she gets going and rolling in, in uh, at Roland Garros, she's a huge favorite. I think it's going to take um, somewhat of a perfect match um, and that kind of huge tennis that Rabakina can play, Sabalenka can play, Ostapenko can play, um, Coco Golf outside shot could play, but um, I'm going to still take the the one that can do that consistently, and that's Fiontek, as opposed to those other players that I feel like could have a perfect, unbelievable day. Um, but I, I, I put the odds as pretty slim of them being able to do that against the pressure of Fiontek. Yeah, I mean, Rybakina, of course, one in Rome, helped by three retirements, including yeah. Sviontek. But, you know, I think going into Rome, I mean, she 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 retired her in Stuttgart. She yeah. went out early in Madrid. And now suddenly she's one in Rome. So she has to be considered a contender now. She's third favourite, Sabalenka's second. There's a big drop-off after those three. And then I think you're looking at Ostapenko, Barbara Kajika and Paola Badosa, I think, are next in the betting quite a long way down. And then you've got Coco Goff. But do you think Rybakina could be a winner at Roland Garros? I think there's a chance. Um, she is the type that type of player that can kind of blast you off the court. And play courts are not normally conducive to that. But um, she showed, even though she got a retirement against Viontek, she showed that she can battle with her. Uh, you know, she might, she's definitely not a favorite going into the match with her, but there's a chance because of the way she plays, because of how big her serve is, because of how big she can return, because of how well she can just hit you off the court. I think it's going to be too much to ask of her to do that against Viontek, um in a grand slam with the pressure, but she's, she's dealt with pressure obviously to win Wimbledon. Um, so she can handle that. She can, um, she can deal with the, the fact that, um, you know, Sviantec, moves so well because she can just somewhat take that away from her by how big she hits. Um, but I think it, it, it would take a perfect match for her. Um, playing against anyone else. Yeah. I think she can definitely win playing against Fiontech. I think it's, um, it's a, it's an entirely different story. And as long as Fiontech gets to those first few matches healthy and is getting towards the later stages of the event and she's totally healthy, I think she just becomes more and more of a favorite. Arena Sabalenka has said second favorite and, Coco Goff, yeah, been disappointing in the clay court season. Um, mm. We were talking last week, and I suggest she might try one of these attempt, you know, into one of these two fifties this week, and obviously not happen. She's gone straight to Roland Garros. Um, she plays a lot of doubles as well, so she's probably mm. quite, you know, quite glad of the rest. And she plays with Jessica Pagula. Let, let's talk about the Americans first in the women's and you mentioned the men's as well. I mean, what, what sort of hopes do you have? For, I suppose golf would still be the biggest American hope men's and women's in Roland Garros. Yeah, I would think so. Um, I think she has the game. If I could pick one, one American to possibly win Roland Garros in their career, I would take Coco. Um, I, I don't know if it's this year because like you said, it's been a bit of a disappointing uh, clay court season for her. Um, which is surprising because I thought I, I had high hopes of this one being a, a really good one for her. Um, and I think it it ends up that that poor season puts a lot of pressure on her Roland Garros to kind of revive this uh, this entire clay court season. And she has a great uh, a great Roland Garros semis finals wins it or, you know, it, it obviously puts to, you know, everything else is a distant memory in the clay court season. So um, but. 
putting all that pressure on one tournament is, is a little difficult, especially a, a young player that uh, celebrated the beginning of the French Open last year with a with a high school diploma. You know, it's, it's we have to recognize that this is still a young player, even though she's been on tour and been on our radar for four or five years. Um, she is still not a, a mid twenties, um, fully grown, fully developed, fully, um, you know, a full veteran on tour. Um, so, um, I'd love to see her have a great, uh, Roland Garros, but I, I do recognize that there's a lot of pressure on her. Um, so I hope she's able to distance herself from that and not think as much about it. Um, the other Americans, um, Pagula, I feel like you can generally pencil her in round of 16 quarterfinals. Um, she had, didn't have a great uh, showing in Rome, but uh, I still think she's she's got um, the kind of game that is tough for top players, but the, the top players that are playing their best do tend to get through her in that quarterfinals or semifinals, uh, unfortunately for her. But um, Clay not probably probably not being her best surface. This isn't the one I would expect for her to to have that deep run and make the finals or, or win this one. That's more for me. It's more uh, Wimbledon or the U.S. Open are her best chances. But um, and on the the men's side, Taylor's been over there the entire time. Taylor and Ben Shelton, I think, have been in Europe since Monte Carlo. It's a long time for Taylor. I think that fits his personality. He loves playing. He loves being on the road. He loves just match after match after match. So I think it's okay for him. Um, I still don't think he's a natural play quarter, similar to Medvedev, except for Taylor Fritz. He probably moves even more awkwardly than than Medvedev on the on the clay. Um, but he's got such confidence, and he wants to get better on it. I love his attitude, and uh, working with Mike Russell, that they've been great together, and uh, really improving so much. It's just it's tough to to really uh, markedly improve your movement on clay uh, once you've gotten into your career like this. So. That's a tough situation for him, but I think um, he's going to do everything he can to be successful. Could have, a, you know, I think he could maybe make it to a second week, which would be, a, I think, a big win um, for for an American on the men's side to get through to that second week. You got Seb Korda, um, who can be successful on clay, I think, even though it's not as natural of a of a service for him either. Um, Francis, uh, Tommy Paul, Tommy Paul came home um, after his last loss, just to get, I think, uh, a little bit of a break. So he didn't feel like he'd been over in Europe for so long. I think that's probably a smart idea. See if he comes back refreshed, um, ready to play some good tennis. Cause I think he's got the kind of game that can be successful on clay as well. Um, so, I mean, for the, the fact that we've got a lot of Americans that have opportunities, maybe one of them breaks through and gets to a, gets to a second week, but the, the expectations put it this way, the expectations for the men, uh, uh, American men are higher than in my generation, but still not quite where, uh, you know, where we're, we're expecting to be handing a trophy over to an American man uh, anytime soon at Roland Garros. Not quite yet. No. Um, just to touch on, on one player who a grand slam winner in Sophia Kenin, who, we we spoke spoke at last week. She beat Arena Sabalenka in Rome. Mm-hmm. Fantastic win. But she went out in the first qualifying round for Roland Garros. And she's a former finalist at Roland Garros. She went out to home player Margot Rouvroy. Um, she's down to 120 in the world. And she's shown flashes of what she can do this season. She reached the semifinals in Hobart start of the year. She beat Sabalenka, as we said. But outside the top hundred, I mean. Life is tough when you get outside the top 100. How does she turn this around and and rebuild her career? Yeah, she was someone that was known for being so tough mentally on the court um, when she made her rise to top four in the world. Um, 
And I think she's going to have to call him out again. She's had some serious ups and downs um, personally, injury wise, um, uh, and then just confidence on, on court. Um, fitness, it's all it's all been very up and down. And we're seeing that now um, this year. You, you see the ups of beating Sabalenka. You know, that's that shows that she has the ability um, getting outside the top hundred. Yeah. You, you're not into the same events you're used to being into. So it's going to take a lot of mental fortitude to play qualities of events that you used to be seated in. Um, and she'll still get, uh, most likely some wild cards, um, in, especially in the States, uh, whether it be the, the, um, the huge events in Cincinnati and, uh, in Canada, um, when she comes back after, after Wimbledon, but, um, it's going to take some real, real um, mental strength. And it's a matter for her. I think if she gets her confidence back, she, we, she's shown that she has mental strength um, when she is on the court. Um, but it's probably those times in between off the court. Is the confidence still there? Um, is the belief still there that she's she's got that top 10 player still in her? Um, and it'll be interesting to see if she can make that comeback. If she does, it's a really great effort. And if she doesn't, you know, it's somewhat understandable that it's there are going to be those ups and downs because it's so hard to it, people take for granted how easy it is, how easy some of the top players make it look to be able to be that consistent day in, day out. Um, that's not uh, that's not easy. That's something that takes a really special individual to be able to be that focused, that disciplined uh, and not have these kind of dips uh, that we've seen uh, from Sophia. Absolutely. So finally, because it's the last show before the slam your picks for Roland Garros we'll have for the men's and the women's and we'll have a pick to win it and a long shot for both all right pick to win it on the men's side is Novak um and my my long shot is Sinner uh it's been somewhat similar all year but I just love his game and I think Sinner uh, at some point is going to break through so might as well be now if uh if I'm going to take a shot for for a long shot on the women's side um, I'm taking Sviantec against the field. Um, I just think as long as she's healthy, that thigh is okay. Um, and as she gets through some early round quick matches, I think she's still going to be healthy um, going into the, the later stages. And my long shot, I'm going to go with Ostapenko. Um, seeing her have some success in Rome um, and going back to a place where obviously she's got some really good, positive memories uh, at Roland Garros. I mean, she can just she can swing for the fences and hit some lines. And if it starts, she starts hitting some lines, even though she thinks she hits lines when they're, you know, six inches out and she wants to tell the umpire <laughs> that she was right. She was right, but um, she can actually hit quite a few of those lines. So um, you never know if it gets going, she could, uh, she could have some success too. Brilliant. Thank you, James. And um, not sure we're going to be, when we're going to be speaking next exactly, but I look forward to it and uh, we'll catch up soon. What your plans for you? Will you be in Paris? No, no time in uh, Paris for me this year, um, but I'll be at Wimbledon. So that that's the next time I'll be on the road. Okay, well, great. Well, enjoy, enjoy the next slam and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Uh, that's all for this week on Betting Weekly. Remember, there are four ways to follow us here. One is via the podcast provider of your choice. And then there's the Bet Rivers Network on YouTube. On Twitter, you can follow all our handicappers from a number of sports on at because we win and it's the same handle at because we win on instagram thanks for tuning in good luck if you're having a bet it's grand slam you've got to have a bet
well, you don't have to, but it's fun. It's, it's for me, best time of the year, uh, the days leading up to the Grand Slam. So um, hope you enjoy it and join us again soon on Betting Weekly. Thanks for listening to Betting Weekly Game Bet Match on the Bet Rivers Network. 